It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Good afternoon, Grapple fans. That's the way we can say. My name is James True Penny. This is the 300th True Penny Show. Thank you very much for the last nine years nearly. Well, nine years next summer of. Pro Wrestling Chat on the Truth Me Show channel. We really appreciate you supporting us. And today, for a special treat, we're going to go back to our roots because the early days of the Truth Me Show was me and Ben talking about wrestling. And um, our most regular contributor these days is, of course, Mr. John Dinsdale. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's fun to be here on such a massive milestone. Happy Indeed. Thank you very much, sir. Usually that celebration is only given to mummies. yeah well we have done 300 shows and i was thinking about how can we celebrate doing 300 shows and i thought we should go back to our roots and my roots is professional wrestling in the uk in the 1980s and so this is an episode of the brit wrestlers dead series which we haven't done for a long time um mainly because Cy does not have the time these days to podcast like he used to and we are actually going to look at some wrestling from the 1970s and 80s from the original World of Sports series. This isn't the World of Sports episodes necessarily that came out at the time. It's from the Men and Motors stuff, and someone's kindly put them on YouTube. I'm sure, not very legally, to be honest with you. But whilst they're there, we shall celebrate that they're there. Um, and some of these actually are complete episodes that, that were kind of just like re-edited. Um, and some of them are combined episodes, and some of them are themed episodes. And our first episode, which is the first one on the playlist we are going to look at, is themed around Mr. Satoru Sayama, Tiger Mask himself, who was before he was Tiger Mask, of course, was Sammy Lee in the UK. So we have a selection of matches to watch featuring Sammy Lee, and we kick off the first show in true British wrestling fashion. It's a tag match. It's Mel Stewart and Vladimir going up against... Sammy Lee, the aforementioned Sammy Lee, and Big Daddy. Um, and this is all the pomp and circumstance of 1970s wrestling on ITV. You've got the local Wolverhampton Boys Began band leading on Big Danny. You've got a lot of middle-aged and elderly women who really do not like the bold chaps in the dark colours. And you've got Sammy Lee wondering what the hell he's got himself into. John, what did you think of this opener? Well, can we can we talk about the completely like carnival music esque like slideshow you get to open the show like the entire we can. like that is incredible like I thought I was about to sort of step into a carry on movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that was a specially commissioned theme tune that happened in around about 1985. In 1985, um, ITV wrestling as it was then because it had left World of Sport by that point uh, was recommissioned. And instead of joint promotions having the whole contract, the contract was split three ways. So you had one week it would be um, joint promotions, another week it would be all-star promotions, um, obviously. Um, and then it would be one week of WWF programming, as it was at the time. And usually you had some big match, you had some TV squash matches, but there would be matches from Madison Square Garden. I believe the opening, the first one match I can remember from WWF was the first big match I saw was the Heart Foundations versus the Heart Foundation versus the Bulldogs at MSG, which obviously was a Sorry, big deal match of, for wrestling members, wrestling shows. Then I'm just kind of dying of laughter because I've just watched like 
Probably someone's mother. Just yeah, she's doing it again. She's right in a pink right? and she's just continuously throwing up the fingers. Yes. She's the bad guy. Flicking V's on the telly at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Um, oh God, here they come. I do. I'm do. watching this and then I'm just like, oh, wrestles are never as over as they used to be. And I mean, seeing something like this, you, you're not technically wrong. Like, Big Daddy <laughs> is getting the full bells and whistles of public adulation. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that boy's brigade band, pretty handy, to be honest with you. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're good. And um, the, the, they march past and Big Daddy and Sammy Lee comes out. Um, of course, uh, Sammy Lee dressed in his full Bruce Lee costume carrying a kendo stick because he's Japanese, you know. <laughs> the, fact that Bruce Lee, yeah, the fact that Bruce Lee was Chinese has nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> Anywho, um, but yes, there's lots of grannies, there's lots of kids, there's lots of hugging. There is, it's, it's Big Daddy. Alan Cheapshot would be so happy we were covering this. Um, yeah. There's lots of glitz. There's lots of glitter. You know, for 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 a straight man, he he did love his glitter. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's full on like pageantry. It's the sort of almost pantomime nature of wrestling, and it's just yeah, it's quite infectiously fun. Absolutely is. You do get drawn into it, definitely. Um, and this match is actually higher quality for a, for a daddy match of that particular era, partly because um, Big Shirl doesn't spend as much time in the ring as necessarily he could do, and he, and he knows when to, when, when to get his stuff done. <laughs> um, the phrase, get his shit in, does ring true here with Big Shirley. He knows his job. Um, and, of course, he's wrestling Mal Stewart, who is actually a fairly handy heavyweight at the time, and a French import called Vladimir, who uh, they came out to Boney M's rendition of Rasputin, which Again, obviously... is perfect stereotypes. Like... <laughs> we have an, a Yorkshireman and somebody from France. What's the perfect perfect music for them? Rasputin by Boney M. Because they're both bald, but Rasputin had long... Well, no, the image of Rasputin is that he had long hair. <laughs> I mean, the, the joke about Borne M is like they were a German band singing in English about a Russian madman. Exactly. It'll be like if Rammstein sang an English song about like Vladimir Putin now. It'd be that yeah. same level of just contradiction on contradiction. <laughs> um, and, you know, Vladimir can actually go. He won the catch heavyweight tournament in Paris, um, hence the championship belt that he carries. Um, and, yeah, this is absolutely not a bad little wrestling match for what it is. For a main event level wrestling match of that particular era, specifically one featuring super heavyweights, actually about as good as it gets, to be honest with you. Because yeah. Danny wasn't that bad, really. No, I mean, later on, yes. But at this particular point, he's still not completely... He's still got, he can still go at this particular point. And, you know, you have to bear in mind that only about three or four years before this, he was one of the country's top heels as well. It's quite interesting to watch just the sort of styles on display. Like, again, you kind of got to laugh at the sort of this concept of foreign heels wrestling a perfectly British match. 
<laughs> like, oh god, he's from France. He's going to bring his evil French style to it. No, he's wrestling British catch wrestling. And yeah, he's pretty damn good at it. Yeah, and um, you know, it, 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 he's a foreigner and it's all wrong. But Big Daddy's tagging with a Japanese person. Oh yeah, but he's right. He's our kind of foreigner. <laughs> um, the thing is, in this match, they don't really sort of compared to the next match on this sort of show. Like, Sayama doesn't really sort of lean into the stereotype quite as much. Like, mm. for this one, it's a pretty straight-laced wrestling contest. Yeah, it's it, it, it's pretty straight up and down. And, you know, they obviously can't get anywhere with Big Daddy, so eventually Sammy Lee tags in. I'll say Satoru Sayama from now on, because it's like... I'm not sure how he feels about this particular portion of his career, really. I do know that I'm not sure what Max Crabtree thought of him when he started, because in Dynamite Kids book, he was he was there the night um, Sayama turned up um, for excursion. And he said, I'm sure Max Crabtree thought, what the hell has Kyle Gotch sent me here? As he watches this kid do endless squats before a match starts. And then you watch him wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> and like in the opening... In the opening like exchange of this particular match, he's flipped out of a backdrop. He's given a spinning heel kick, and then he's moved over the top on a knee breaker to turn it into uh, a sunset flip. Uh, well, the thing that keeps cracking me up is like Sayama uses an excessive amount of kicks throughout this sort of forty-five minutes of like different televised matches, and the commentators can barely get any of them correct. Like, they are throwing out Sobots, like, Sabat kicks. Yeah. And I can't remember for the life of me what they call it. It's like, a roundhouse to the guts, and it's like, it's a Sobat kick. But to be fair to Ken Wallen, he would not have come across anyone like this. It, like, watching, you watching Sayama in this match, and it's like an alien's landed compared to what they're used to. The pace they're going at, you know... The only two people really in the wrestling world that could keep up with him at this particular point in time were Marty Jones and Mark Rocco, um, who had a feud on TV in 76 all the way through to 70, well, about 81, which was the definitive pure wrestling feud in British wrestling um, and kind of changed the way Junior, the, you know, the, the Tiger Mask and Dynamite Revolution was really started with Mark Rocco and Marty Jones. And Sayama picked up on that, and Dynamite took that style to Japan and, to, and Canada with him. But it was really Jones and Rock who started it all. And you watch those matches from that particular time, and you can listen to what my, mine and Alex Watts thoughts on those matches. We did an episode of um, this series when Mark Rocco passed away. Um, and, you know, Sayama's not at that level yet because he's still a rookie and he's still kind of learning. But he has so much presence about him. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and Daddy loves it. <laughs> no, no, you you carry on. I'll be all right over here. It's fine. He's like, I could be the showman and you could do all the hard work here. This is a night <laughs> off for me. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of pretty standard. It, in one sense, it's a standard Daddy match of the smaller guy getting beat up until Daddy takes the hot tag. In another, it's so not because Daddy does take the first fall, but Sayama takes the second fall, which was kind of unheard of. You know, 
it, maybe the the young baby face oh, will get the first. Yes, here it is, the monster rushing the ring. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so pissed off. Um, you don't get passion like that these days, folks. When's the last time your mum went to a wrestling show to try and start a fight with a, a Russian from Paris being a dickhead? Have you ever have you ever been to wrestling in Lincoln? Anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, in one sense, it's like you maybe get like the young wrestler would get the first fall with a technical move, and then Daddy would come in and save the day in the second fall. But in another sense, this is not that. You know, Daddy's like on the apron for most of this match, and Siam looks after himself in the second fall and takes the win over Mel Stewart, a much heavy wrestler, which shows you how much faith they had in in Siam, didn't it? I mean, it was well played because, as you see throughout the rest of the show, they're like they're giving him some pretty high stakes matches and like a massive amount of spotlight. Definitely for sure. But this one is probably like the most watchable daddy tag match I've seen in a long time. But again, I, I haven't gone out of my way to watch an awful lot of big daddy tag matches. <laughs> um, no, Jeff, Kim- go on. Sorry. Sorry, go on. I was just pondering to myself. Um, Here comes the big slam. There you go. The big move. And why do you why do you need more? That is that is the kind of thing that does kind of kill the match is the fact that Vladimir's got pinned by Daddy's big move within ten minutes of you know their first match together. So the rematch is off, obviously. <laughs> Unless Big Shell figured in should figure Daddy enough. That was it. <laughs> yeah, it's ain't gonna work. We're done. Um but yeah, but there's interesting production values. There's two art cameras for a start. That's intriguing. And a Roman camera. Um, Jeff Kay, your referee. Jeff Kay, really good wrestler. Like one of the best technical wrestlers Britain ever produced, but didn't have quite the star quality. For as technicians go, he was the first person I ever saw use a, a cross arm bar. And he was using cross arm breaker as a, as a finisher back in the 70s. Because he was a Wigan lad and therefore knew how to do everything right. <laughs> snake, snake pit training. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah, because there are a lot of matches per Well, on some of these, there are a lot of matches per episode. It is indeed. We're going to do four shows. Um, of this might be actually the most quintessential British wrestling match you were ever likely to see. <laughs> um... Ladies and gentlemen, we preview Mr. Sammy Lee of Tokyo, Japan, up against Cyanide Sid Cooper of Doncaster. Any best of three falls matchup uh, over six five-minute rounds. Um, I love Sid Cooper. I think he's one of the most underrated professional wrestlers I've ever seen. He was a massive star as the perfect comedy heel in the 1970s. And he did everything right. Um, and I, I once described him as the wily coyote of British wrestling. He has these plans. He tries to execute these plans, and the plans never quite come off, usually to his detriment. But Yeah, that, that kind of happens in this one as well, because he tries <laughs> to push his luck, and he just gets thwacked and his ass kicked. This, this is just, he was the perfect guy. And from from what I understand is basically when he debuted in the UK, the Sammy Lee, he did the rounds with Sid Cooper for three months. 
and that's what got him like polished up to kind of like what joint promotions wanted in a main eventer. And Sid handled him and looked after him and made sure he looked like a star. And Sid, Sid was Sid was there was an interview. Well, there was a review of his career in FSM a few years ago, and the the, the old British wrestling phrase was he was a carpenter because he built houses. And he built house after house for joint promotions for years and years and years. And you just have to look at his facial expressions here. Like, um, Sayama starts with a series of fainting kicks and he just doesn't know what to do. And he's <laughs> he's bumping from midair because Sayama is like getting the kicks as close as he possibly can without hitting him really hard. And he's just bumping for everything. And it's like, it's just, it's a genius performance from Sayama for being this athletic in this particular time period. But Sid Cooper's on another level when it comes to selling. If you want to know how to sell... All guy. Yeah. He's the perfect Laurel for Hardy, etc. It's just, it works because Sid Cooper is allowing it to work. (laughs) (laughs) We're just giggling. We're watching this as we're we're doing it because we don't have a playlist. So to help us remember who wrestled who, we're watching it as we go along. But you just can't not laugh at it. It's just brilliant. And it is just like, this is the best. This is possibly the best wrestling you could have seen in the world at the time. And it's because the right guy was with the right guy. It's like, I want to preface this here. Mm. When you said we were doing World of Sport, I was like, oh, this could be interesting. But I always go into World of Sport with a slightly negative worldview because it's one of these things everyone holds up. It's like, oh, I miss World of Sport. I miss this. I miss that. Which usually means it's nowhere near as good as they remember. Yeah. Because that's always the case with like rose tinted glasses nostalgia. But this this was really fun. Again, it's it's a nice mix of like pantomime, proper catch wrestling. And as you said, the right characters working with the right people to create the right type of match. And Jesus Christ. Mule kick. He slammed him straight in the chest. That's <laughs> what they kept calling the bloody sabbats. The sabbats and the faint kicks. They kept calling them bloody um, mule kicks. kicks. It is, but then again, like I said, Ken Walton will have not seen anyone throw a kick ever. Because that's just not what you did. It wasn't the done thing. That was not the style. We're looking at people who are experimenting with what will become shoot style wrestling. This is the very early days. And two of the wrestlers that developed what would become shoot style wrestling are on the shows we're looking at here. We're looking at, obviously, Satoru Sayami first, um, who more or less moved away from kicks when he became a shoot style wrestler. He just didn't kick as much as, um, as he did in this particular period. And then you've got Akira Maeda, who obviously was the master of kicking people. And we've got to talk about him later because he's on one of these shows too. Um, but this is just, yeah, this is, this is how you present wrestling. And it's like minimal effort to get maximum results. And that's how wrestling should be. You know, like no offense to Sid, but he had a day job to go to on Monday morning. So, and he was one of the top paid wrestlers in the country. So he manages to get every blow he can to count as much as he possibly can on the grounds that he's trying to like make as much out of everything he can do for Sammy Lee. Cause that's his job is to get Sammy Lee over. And that's what he does. It's genius. Absolute genius performance. As of a wrestler giving to another wrestler, you will not see anything better than this. I think I can agree with that. Shall we skip along? 
Um, and interesting, we had a bit of a, a bit of an angle in the next match to kick things off. So the next match is Johnny Muscles England of Wolverhampton, because obviously when I think of when I think of Muscles, I think of Wolverhampton <laughs> against Sammy Lee, Satoru Sayama. Um, now, interestingly, well, the guy from Wolverhampton is trying his best to look like an American wrestler. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, um, this is the first appearance of referee Max Ward, Europe's number one referee. I will have you know. Um, yeah, this was an intriguing opening match because um, Satoru Sayama lays out a challenge to the veteran middleweight king of the British middleweights at the time, um, Nick McManus, who quite handily comes to uh, accept the challenge of Sammy Lee. Um, and I can't remember if we saw that match on TV at some point or not, but it was obviously going to be a big TV draw because Sammy Lee had become this massive star and McManus was king of the hill. He was king of the middleweights. He wasn't middleweight champion. He had been middleweight champion. I think the current British middleweight champion at that point would have been Burt Royal. Um, and this was the period before Mark Rocco made middleweights the thing to watch you know that was the division to become great and in at that particular time McManus kind of put it on the map and then Rollerball kind of moved it 10 spaces forward um and McManus was one of the bookers um for joint promotions at the time he was writing a lot of the tv as far as like the angles and stuff were concerned so he was just the right guy to build a feud with he was a massive star he was in charge of creative direction and he got the hottest rising star in the world of professional wrestling on his books. Can't really go much better than that, you can it? <laughs> so yeah, and then and then Johnny England and um, Sammy Lee have a match, and it's pretty good, really. What did you think of this? Yeah, again, it's it's another sort of fun clash of styles because like Mr. Muscles over here has like much more of a sort of smash like smash you into everything style so it's not it's not as clean of a contest as some of the others and you just get these sort of fun moments of just wow Sammy he has just been run into like 15 different buckles <laughs> sorry Sayana we're not calling him the, the weird world of sport name they gave him the postings you mean hmm? the post postings that's what they're called uh, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's just all the pausing and the swear. It's like, I'll, you, I'll beat you by showing you my muscles. <laughs> An interesting they finish just in this had match. A there. Yeah, um, interesting finish in this match as well. Um, because, and again, Powers takes bump after bump. Like the first thing he does, the first, well, not wrestling movie, he takes a bump outside to the floor. Um, and and he bumps all night for for Sayama. Um, and this this is what amazes me because it's like I don't think of the great heels in British wrestling at the time. I do to an extent, you know, um, but I don't think of like heels being that important to the wrestling narrative because a lot of the matches we're going to see are babyface versus babyface, and it's not as big a deal to British wrestling fans as say, to American wrestling fans who kind of need someone to cheer and someone to boot. They don't need that in this particular era. Um, but they had some great heels, didn't they? 
yeah, there are some like really just great people being dastardly and like mean and just yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. was brutal in slow motion. We just watched Sarasayama try to go for a victory role and Johnny Powers not understanding what he was trying to do and then just kind of like dropped him on his head and folded it's him. It's just like a front facing muscle buster. <laughs> just, just, just bad. <laughs> it was just like. Um, no. I mean, it reminded me of watching Jushin Liger in WCW's Battle Ball, where he's against some jobbers and uh, tried pulling off some of his regular manoeuvres and the jobbers he were up against just didn't know what to do. So just ended up landing on their heads. (laughs) (laughs) And Liger just walked off and tagged himself out in disgust. (laughs) This is the the match that ends with, like... uh... Um, Mr. Muscles over here just walking off, isn't it? Because he's like, I've yeah. taken the count out. I'm done with this guy. I've had enough. Yeah, yeah this is it. <laughs> and this is again is something that like you didn't see that often. I was, from if memory serves me, like Sayama gets the first fall, and then under Out Heaven's rules, um, you could have multiple knockouts. Each fall was by disqualification, count out, sub pinfall or submission uh, to decide the winner. Um, so if you got counted out, that was a fall. That wasn't the end of the match necessarily. Um, so yeah, it was. It, this is an interesting thing. And Powers can wrestle; he can go. There's some technical stuff in as well. But there's a lot of. It's a very different approach to the match that he has with. Um, um, uh, Sinatra Cooper. But yes. So yes. Yeah, so, this episode manages to showcase like Siam's approach with different opponents and how they react to being in the ring with someone who's wildly different of a different style. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he's not a million miles away from what they're doing because he's trained by Carl Gotch. He obviously trained at the Snake Pit in Wigan and was therefore, you know, on the same page as the British wrestlers were really, as far as professional wrestling was concerned. Um, but yeah, it was allowed to take it in different directions. As you said, the the like wild amount of kicks, the sort of different techniques, and all the stuff that they're just not ready for. <laughs> <laughs> like tilt wall slam, you know, he, he got that from Mexico because tilt wall slams are a Mexican kind of date thing. You know, the the tilt wall slam's been around for for decades. It's just really fun to watch, even in really weird slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Shall we move on? Let's see. Who was our next match? If I remember correctly. Oh, I I thought, oh yeah, because it's like a super squash, isn't it? Yeah, this was intriguing. Um, the winner was Sammy Lee. There we go. Probably a count out in the fifth round. Um, that's a good thing. That whilst we're waiting for the next bit of a lot, the next the next match was um, part of a tournament where Big Daddy's team um, would go up against Giant Haystack's hand-picked team in a series of single matches and then a six-man tag, which was a nice little format change. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, hmm. uh, and correctly, this is just this is just an instant squash for Big Daddy, isn't it? It isn't far off, yes. Yeah. So this was a singles match uh, that was on the card with Big Daddy going up against longtime junior nemesis Banger Walsh, which is a great name for a wrestler, especially a British wrestler. Banger Walsh. Who are you wrestling tonight? Banger. 
Appreciate <laughs> um, Big Daddy's entrance is longer than this match. Um, my fault. No, this isn't Bangawash. This is Scrubber Daily. I do apologise. Bangawash was a middleweight. Bangawash was from Lewisham, and he was he was um, mates to Chris Adams, and got the name Banger from Rocco uh, Rocco because there was there was they got to a show one night and half the crew were missing and um, the referee said, are you supposed to be wrestling? And Rocco went, they're made bangers from Lewisham. So banger Walsh. <laughs> That's how he's played nickname. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is Scrubber Daily. Again, classic British wrestling name. Why would you be called Scrubber? What, what, what does one need to do to become a Scrubber? I mean, there's the I'm obvious not thing. Lie, when, when I am, uh... <laughs> Was watching this, I, I sort of zoned out for some of the audio, and I thought the guy's name was Strawberry. <laughs> no, Scrubber Daily, Scrubber Space Daily, and it is just like, who in their right mind comes up with the name Scrubber Daily? Well, Max Crabtree, obviously. Um, Scrubber Daily wasn't wasn't quite Daddy Fodder as they were known um, <laughs> in the later eighties, um, but he wasn't. He was. He had a bit more about him than that. Uh, but unfortunately, did not get to showcase his talents in this particular matchup, as it was over fairly quickly. Because if you're going to have Big Daddy wrestle twice in the card, the first one best be short. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. But it was fun. While it lasted. The entrance. The entrance was sort of longer than the match. Honestly, Daddy was British wrestling Sandman or Undertaker in the sense that his entrance was far more important than anything he did in the ring. You know, Sandman didn't yeah, have to wrestle well. Didn't have any Sandman. No, I could imagine <laughs> a six-man tag with, 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 with the beer and a kendo stick. He's still yeah. got the sparkly hat on, but it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now being played uh, out by the Wolverhampton Boys Marching Band, it's the <laughs> Sandman. Um, Scrubber actually does try some wrestling moves in this match because he tries a top wrist lock, which is an intriguing choice. Yes, <laughs> didn't last very long. Um, comes and takes him a giant ace that comes down to manage him and coach him, which I thought was cool. You know, it's like I've wrestled this man before, I know what you need to do. Whatever advice, um, giant ace gave him wasn't worth much because he ends up on the floor very quickly afterwards. Uh, yeah. Couple of splashes, uh, posting. If I thought the ring moved, and then over the top rope or through the middle rope, big bump on the floor. That's your lot. Count of ten. What more do you need? That's family entertainment. That is proper. That's wrestling. Did you enjoy that, John? Yeah, it's, it's a funny way to end a match. If nothing else, it's like I threw him out so hard he was knocked out. Yeah, there you go. What more do you need? Um, I'm trying to figure out how we can, um, oh yeah, let's go to section two. Episode two is another sh another showcase episode, which showcased the talents of your light heavyweight champion of the world, Johnny Saint. Um, these days more famous as the commissioner of WWE NXT UK, until it went off the screens, often off our televisual screens recently. Um, Johnny Saint was from Manchester, he was trained by Billy Robinson, he is arguably one of the best technicians British wrestling's ever produced. And his matches are stunning. They're just 
just on him. He was one of the best workers in the world, but never really got the worldwide acclaim because he was the lightweight champion of the world. He was never going to put weight on. He was never going to be massive. But then he creates this style that, you know, people like Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli and Colt Cabana. Sorry? Zach Sabre Jr. Zach Sabre Jr. all pick up on and develop this affinity for, and there's a renaissance in his style. Um, he comes out of retirement to wrestle for Shikara at King of Trios in 2011. And, you know, his legacy is now secure. And he has, uh, but this is his, his peak, Johnny Saint. He's just become world lightweight champion. This is his fourth championship defense. I can't remember the name of the guy he's wrestling. We'll have to listen to it again because there's, there's no caption for it. Um, so um, he's a Moroccan champion. So we'll just listen to the, the dulcet tones of Ken Walden. Let's see if he can hold it on the fourth occasion. His opponent, Abdul Kader Hassouni from Casablanca, Morocco. Thanks, Ken. Um, <laughs> Abdul Akinasa. Yes. This is a very uh, long match. Like, it, it is. It's a very long contest. In fact, there's only two matches on this episode because both of the matches just go along. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's quite a a stark contrast to the the last match which showcased like four different matches yeah they were all going at the fair clip this is this is chess these are chess matches yeah this is it and you know like ken walton says this was cup final day this was the biggest audience they were going to have all year and they showcased Johnny Saint and Johnny Saint was kind of like the king of the FA Cup final matches there was a British lightweight championship match between him and Jim Brakes, I think in 1973, which was the biggest wrestling audience that decade, um, certainly since the days of Jackie Polo and, and Mick McManus. And, you know, he it was the shop window. You know, how do you get a new audience to watch your show? You put the most exciting wrestler on the show with the most watchable style, and that's Johnny Sane, you know. Um, um, by the way... Best thing with Johnny Saint is, like, not only is it incredibly technically impressive, it shows an absolute, like, goldmine of creativity, but it is insanely entertaining to watch because there's always some, like, minor comedic tweaks to some of the stuff he does. It's like he knows when he's, when, like, some tech, like, it's been, oh, it's a bit too technical, let's do something funny. And it's just like you're continuously sort of drawn to whatever's going to happen next. And it's so fast. Like, when they want to go, they just go. Like, the speed of when they're, like, into movement, they're doing much more moving things. Because they're smaller and they're lighter, they can just go faster. <laughs> it's that simple, really. And the technical speed of these two is is, is brilliant. You know, um, and there's just so many escape holds and rests and returns and, you know... Um, this the Lady of the Lake. Oh, you got to love that hole, don't you? <laughs> Which he talked to Brian Danielson, who uses it all the time and always makes me laugh. It was like the the time he did it when Brian Danielson did Lady of the Lake to the Miz on Monday Night Raw was a proper mark out moment for me. It was like, oh my God, that's Johnny Saints move. Um, Becky. Oh, yeah. Becky. 
Oh, what's the second name? I've forgotten the name. Ah, redheads. It's like the most famous woman writer in the world. Yeah, she did uh, Johnny Sane Escape the other week on Monday Night Raw. Um, oh, Becky uh, Lynch. Becky Lynch, there you go. I don't know my name blank there. Becky Lynch? It's like Becky, what the hell? What the hell? I was like, oh, Lynch. <laughs> I used to say the most famous famous female wrestler in the world. You're like, who? <laughs> Becky Because of the way you were sort of scrambling for clues and I'm yeah. half mesmerized by just slow motion catch wrestling. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, but she did a, the the run the run up the corner post uh, leapfrog escape the other week on uh, Monday Night Raw. Um, there was a lot of Becky Lynch haters who didn't like it because she can't be athletic, and it's like she doesn't need to be athletic. She's Becky Lynch. <laughs> What's your problem? She earns money. That's the deal. But yes, um, Johnny Saint here is just brilliant to watch. It's just it's mesmerizing. It's just, you're right, it's just so thoroughly entertaining. The just ability to watch him wrestle and just, and the, his opponent from Morocco just gets it. He goes with everything. He knows exactly what, it, it just, just it, it's, he's very talented as well and he has good offensive moves and he has his own escapes as well. But you're right, this is just chess as entertainment. <laughs> almost imagine it having the sort of simultaneous ooh R track but at certain times they can just put a laugh track in and it would just fit perfectly yeah definitely this is this is just fun stuff to watch and this just there's a lot of stuff that um we just haven't seen in wrestling since in a long long time I mean people like Zach are using it now but they're using it in a more offensive way there's a lot of gym breaks to what Zack Sabre Jr. does, as much as there is Johnny Sane. You know, that gym breaks was, and the vicious little bastard heel that he was, it's perfect for Zack Sabre Jr. Zack's obviously a bit more of a baby face now with my don't kneel and stuff. But when he was in full Suzuki gun mode, he's me, he's, he, he was really leaning into that kind of heel persona. Um, and this is kind of like the opposite of that. This is like just pure wrestling for the sake of wrestling. But like I said, back in the one of the best matches I ever saw was Jim Briggs versus Johnny Saint from 1973 for the Light Heavyweight Championship of Great Britain because uh, they were the top two up-and-coming junior light heavyweights, um, which had a really creative finish as well. I had blading in it in 1973 in the UK rings. It was, it was insane. It, was, um, it almost feels like what would happen if you mixed me- uh, wrestling with Monty Python? Yeah, funnily enough, well, the ministry that's is it. Wrestling. Well, I mean, one of my friends, Chris Lonsdale, who's done a Troopany show, he did a Troopany show on Stampede Wrestling because he's Canadian and he grew up in Vancouver and watched Stampede Wrestling. He said he described world of sports as two guys trying not to touch one another. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but you have to understand they were getting paid 15 quid a night and had to go back to their day job on Monday morning. And I went, ah, oh, that makes sense then. So this is the ultimate low-risk wrestling, which is the reason why Johnny Saint could still have fairly active wrestling matches at the age of 73 years old. You know, he, he didn't look out of place and didn't particularly look very slow at the age of 73 when he was in Chicago at all. You know, it's it, it was just it, because this style of wrestling is absolutely as low-risk as it gets, you know. And that's not to say that Johnny did not take himself seriously. He did all sorts of training. 
Obviously, he was trained by Billy Robinson, so a bit of a shooter as well, knew what he was doing about defending himself, did loads of road work, did loads of like fitness stuff, and lots of pull-arounds because that's what keeps you fit. Just wrestling five nights a week back in those days, you know, he started on the, the club circuit in Manchester, not wrestling for Relisco, which was the, the big promoter, wrestling literally in working men's clubs. There was a working men's clubs circuit in Manchester. He was a fitter in a factory, started wrestling the working men's clubs and was getting eventually just as kind of like a beer money, essentially. And then suddenly he was earning more money doing the working men's clubs than he was doing the work. So he quit working and just devoted himself full time to wrestling. Uh, but it took him 10 years to get out of the working men's clubs. You know, he was by the time we were watching him here, he's a 15 year veteran and, you know, he's earned his spot. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's like Johnny Sin is one of the most fun wrestlers to watch, one of the best workers, and like almost entirely unique. Like, it's great to see <laughs> paying homage to a style that sort of seems so like odd conceptually because it's like, let's mix all these weird and wonderful escapes and holds and grapples. And there's an, it always looks like there's not necessarily, oh god. <laughs> I'm skipping it into the next one whilst John, whilst John was talking. Um, it's the and... owner of the worst tattoo I have ever seen. Now, now. <laughs> Icarus from Shikara. He has a buffalo between his shoulder blades, man. It looks terrible. It is, but it was the 1970s. It's like the eagle on the chest I can live with, because you see plenty of people like that. But the... the... The odd placement of this tattoo on his back that, that feels like it's the wrong... It looks like someone has just been tinkering with tattoos on the creator wrestler mode on the WWE games. Okay. <laughs> He's a great wrestler. However, is it the... Great character, yeah. but my God, please tell me you've got that covered up later in life because it just doesn't fit. I have to say the eagle across the chest, though. That does look nice. Someone did their work there. Anywho. That fits. It's the one on his back. I can't... I just can't get away with it. Like, I have tattoos. I love tattoos. If I'm going to get my back done, I'm going all in on it, not getting some, like, thing between my shoulder blades that, that just looks like a, a line... It, it's so bad. It's Bear in so mind, bad. this was the old days of tattoos when it hurt an awful lot, and there's not an awful lot of fat on those shoulder blades. But anywho, let us move on. <laughs> I just this had match. to get that in because that was the first thing I messaged you actually it was like oh yeah Johnny said great matches but what the fuck is this guy's tattoo <laughs> the person in question who we haven't mentioned yet is Terry Jowett um, who was a, a northern lightweight um, had a tag team with Johnny Eagles who also had an eagle tattooed on his chest hence why he was called Johnny Eagles and the tag team was called the Eagles so Terry had a ta- the Eagles tattooed on his chest um, so he did. He liked his tattoos, did Terry Joe. Um, but he was a handy technician. And uh, from what I understand from reading up on the British Wrestling Heritage website, um, he was the junior partner in the tag team, but learned an awful lot from uh, Johnny Eagles until he was kind of like the superior worker. Um, and this is kind of that kind of match. Jowett was never a, a full on baby face, which kind of allowed him some leeway as far as um, rule breaking and bending was concerned. 
Um, as, <laughs> let's just put it on the British Heritage website. He was a baby face, but not in an annoying way. <laughs> and so therefore, you know, he gained quite a gathering with it. And here is wrestling Johnny Saint, who's as a technical equal, if not better than he is. So it's a really great back and forth wrestling match. This is a purebred wrestling match. Um, and they're clearly having the time of their lives. And this is brilliant to watch because it's just pure wrestling because Joe is a pure as wrestler as wrestling gets. He's a proper pro and Saint is a proper pro as well. He knows he was got all the character, got all of the, the skills and, you know, he's charismatic and the fans loved him. And enjoyable too because you've got all the sort of technique, but Jowett's bringing like this, like more of an aggressive tone to it, which forces yeah. Saint to like adapt further. It's a yeah. very different tone to that last match where it was two sort of technicians just going all out on spectacle and entertainment. This one is, no, no, I, I can out-technique you. You are fighting for survival. Yeah, this is, this one's a much more... Jarrett's not a heel by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just... He's not as fancy as Saint, but he's technically exceptional. So therefore, he can put some more power behind what he's trying to do and therefore Saint has a lot more things to think about and how he's going to get in and out of trouble and make sure his um, title stays at place. Uh, Those roll-ups as well. You forgot how good those roll-ups are because you've only seen them, you've only seen them recently because Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr. used them, basically. But they are cool roll-ups. Um, interestingly, the referee is Ernie Baldwin, former British heavyweight champion, and I believe another um, alumnus of that most famous garden shedding Wigan at the Snake Pit. So there you go. I do love here that the, the succession seems to be like they wrestle, then they become refs. And like most of the time these days, you get refs who then become wrestlers. <laughs> and then you've got people like uh, Drake Younger who were wrestlers become refs, get fired from being refs so go and wrestle for XPW again <laughs> <laughs> let's just move on to episode 8 which is more of a kind of like a what a regular episode of World of Sport would look like um, this one was based around a tournament um, for the Golden Grapplers Trophy, which was um, an annual tournament where they basically invited solid up-and-coming wrestlers, joint uh, promotions did, to have a tournament. And as it says, it's from yeah. Burnley. From Burnley. Put tea on. Um, and oh, this... I mean, Sam will hate that. Each What's one's that? Gone. They hate Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first match uh, is the qualifiers that they caught a final in a brilliant uh, lightweight into welterweight, really. By this stage, he was getting into middleweight because he'd started going to the gym, <laughs> whereas he certainly didn't when he was younger. He was kind of in the midst of a heel turn, and he was putting the pressure on this match. Rupert Brooks was young and up-and-coming wrestler. This was a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> I just got fun at the beginning. I did not. Um, I commented on the pseudo mullet. Um, but yeah, so Richie Brooks is taking on Ian McGregor here. Richie Brooks has got the the classic mullet. We're in the like we're in the mid eighties, so the mullets haven't quite reached their zenith at this particular point. Though Kid McCoy's mullet later on in this taping is a joy to behold. Uh, but Richie Brooks was um, up and coming middleweight. Um, 
this was fun. I really enjoyed this because it was like two people who were really evenly matched with lots of back and forth wrestling. And it was just, it was just chain wrestling for like 15 minutes. Um, looking at this um, sequence of pinfalls and near falls, which is just great. Um, it was, you know, both these guys kind of match if it was in Ring of Honor. But Ring of Honor fans would not have, like, uh, they would have loved this because <laughs> it's a pure wrestling match. Um, what did you think of it, John? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it more than I kind of expected it to. Expected to because, like, chain wrestling contests come in two flavors this and boring as fuck. And this one wasn't <laughs> boring. As I said, evenly matched. They got a nice pace to it. And yeah, they're just continuously working to outdo each other with some attitude and some mullets. That just works. <laughs> <laughs> that was a vicious Irish whip. We're just watching yeah, it now. That, was, that, that, that was a shoulder stinger. That was. That was awesome. Um, a nice straight armbar as well. Yeah, this, this is well worth a watch just from like... Uh, this is kind of getting close to what the meat and potatoes of world sports wrestling was like, because they obviously couldn't put big matches on all the time. And a lot of these compilation tapes obviously concentrate on the big matches because they do. Whereas, you know, you can't run a TV show like that all the time as you know, most pro wrestling shows will test to that try and run big matches all the time. Look at the attitude era. It works for a while, but it won't work every week. Um, but this was, yeah, this was just a, a nice little bit of aggressive chain wrestling because McGregor's not really a babyface, but he's not really a heel. Um, but this was fun, yes. How did you feel about the round system? Because it, it this... is what it is. It, I guess, it's a way to sort of, because as you said, they're not getting paid a lot, and they're not, they've got day jobs to go to, so the round system sort of limits what you do, but it also encourages you to make the most of the time you have it's so it works it's a it's a system that like suits the sort of era it's in and the sort of tv format plus you yeah. can build a lot of tension around rounds because it's like oh they've, they've gone to the fourth round no one's gotten this pinfall yet what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah that's that's true i i mean i watched i was listening to steve austin's podcast i think he had Colt Cabana on maybe steve regal on I mean, well, William Regal, and he was saying, like, he watched a lot of it on YouTube. It was one of his favorite things to watch on YouTube. And he said, when I first started watching, I couldn't get used to the round system. And he said, then I realized, because it interrupted the story, he said, but then I realized, no, you don't get one story. You get five stories. You're adding value by creating restriction, which is how art works, really. You know, um, um, let us move on to the next matchup. We have um, Blackjack Mulligan. Sorry? McCoy and Mulligan. McCoy and Mulligan. <laughs> yeah, Blackjack Mulligan from Bradford. Um, not the original Blackjack Mulligan. There was a Blackjack Mulligan. No, obviously not like Barry Windham's dad or, you know, Bray Wyatt's granddad. Um, there was a Blackjack Mulligan in the 1970s who was a heavyweight. Um, and then there was this Blackjack Mulligan. Um, Kid McCoy was uh, a second-generation wrestler, um, son of King Ben McCoy, who we'll see later on uh, in this particular tournament, even, um, and uh, was trained for the wrestling ring by his father and also Marty Jones, and was a, a training dojo mate, if you will, of William Regal. 
Um, obviously, a pretty empty welterweight. He was British, well, British lightweight champion at this particular point. Obviously, the belt that Steve Gray um, and Johnny Saint and Jim Brakes had held in the early 70s and kind of made the belt what it was. Dynamite Kid had held that belt as well. So he was a big deal as far as this was concerned. Um, and he just had technical skill coming out of his ears. Um, he wasn't as like supremely technical as say Johnny Sane, um, and he wasn't as fast as someone like Steve Gray, but he was a kind of total package wrestler and he could sell so well. Like he was just, you know, for the young boy being beaten up, <laughs> he was just brilliant at it, just exceptionally good. Um, what do you think of this one, John? Yeah, you'd, you'd think Mulligan was murdering him the way he's selling. It's pretty damn content. Um, yeah, and, you know, there's lots of technical stuff. McCoy was, he kind of borrowed that style from Mark Rocco and Marty Jones. Obviously, he was, he was trained by Marty Jones. Um, and... Um, he and Dave Finley as well had a hand in his and had a hand in his development too, because um, Finley and Jones were friends. Um, and yeah, it was he just again he was one of those guys who was never going to be huge. So therefore, he was kind of like only ever going to be big, big in the European circuit because he couldn't really go to Japan or the States because he wasn't big enough. But he was a star um, and just brilliant for hit the time period and. Obviously, clearly somebody that Max Crabtree put a lot of time into. He did a lot of tag matches with Big Daddy. <laughs> it's again, you can tell that the, he's got talent, and you can tell that he's putting on quite the show here. And again, Mulligan seems like the perfect opponent to bring that out. Definitely. Oh, let us move on to the next matchup, which indeed features um, Kid McCoy's dad. <laughs> King Ben, there he is, the man himself of the suit chest, uh, going up against the little prince, who's um, oh, let's see, uh, clearly Muslim and a bad person because he's from Pakistan. Um, though to be fair, he's a wrestler, though. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he's doing a a lot of heavy lifting alongside like Ben McCoy here. It's just but. It, They've they've purely done this because they wanted to do King and Prince, didn't they? It makes sense. Um and you know, um the prince is he's he's good. He's he's got a character to him and yeah, he's actually representing himself fairly positively. But um you know, um the Oh this foreign man, boo him. Yeah, well I mean it depends on where you were. I mean, Tiger Ali Singh. Tiger Ali Singh. He was a British heavyweight. He was British heavyweight champion. They. I have never seen anyone over as Tiger Ali Singh in Bradford. Oh my god! Like you know, there was never a strong Asian representation of pro wrestling, but there was in Bradford, <laughs> and they were there for Tiger Ali Singh. Sorry, hard to be little friends because he doesn't do anything worth doing. He's just being an entertaining pretty technically gifted wrestler yeah he but does break he keeps pace perfectly he does boo well he does break the rules a fair bit later on but it just starts off as a kind of like technical 
heavy middleweight match, really. They're just kind of like banging heads kind of wrestling. Um, and then it just kind of develops from there. And um, King Ben takes the victory to move on to the semi-final. Uh, so well, we've got point. It's nothing definitive as well. So it's almost yeah. like, like sort of clever little story device. It's like, oh, you will hate this evil villain who the little prince can't beat the king, can he? And it's like, well, he nearly did. True. The king only won on points. And how much of that do you want to put down to favoritism? Oh, I think as well, because the the prince has got a couple of public warnings, that would probably if I go against him in a, in a point scoring kind of way. Mm. If you see what I mean. So, yeah. 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 Um, shall we move on to the final quarterfinal? Oh, which has <laughs> one of the funniest named wrestlers of all. This match is actually quite long. You don't realise how long it is. Because the last one's yeah. quite short. Because they make, they make full use of every round. It's like, what, three five-minute rounds? That's 15 minutes of wrestling with the yeah. breaks. Now, this, hey. this, this next match is the moment where I went, of course he's called Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes. Our next match involves... Um, oh, it's not working. Why is it start working? Oh, it's skipped ahead to the next one. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I thought it was going to skip. Oh, hang on. Sorry, lads. Uh, yes, do you want to explain who's in this match whilst I find it for us to watch? Um, I wish I could remember the names properly, but basically there is an Irish wrestler in it, and his nickname is Lucky, because of course it is. Because we, <laughs> we love a good dose of, of stereotypes. I mean, technically, we've already seen plenty of proof of that. And of course, <laughs> he is a dick because he makes everything fit his look. Lucky Gordon, they're described as a tear away, which instantly in British rings means always a bad one. Um. Steve Fury sounds like a, like the character Steven Seagal would play in Steve Fury! <laughs> and honestly, both of them look like insurance salesmen. <laughs> yeah, but I think only one of them had ripped me off. They've got lost on the way oh, back from God. conference, and um, someone gave them some tights and said, Go in there. And that's, that's what happened with this one. That's basically I feel it. Like I, I'm honestly surprised Lucky Garden doesn't have a green hat, a shamrock, and a little leprechaun companion. <laughs> They've gone halfway on the Irish sort of gimmick why the hell didn't they do the rest of it well you also have to bear in mind this is like 1984 we're still talking ira this is dubious ground to be ah, yes. you know this is this is um you know tory pie conference getting bombed era you know this is not um a pleasant time to be irish uh in the public domain really as far as like a lot of things are concerned um it wasn't as bad as it was like in the 1960s, but it's still not great. So being a heel wrestler, an Irish heel wrestler, specifically in the north uh, of England, was, you know, that, that was, yeah, something to take on, you know, and vice versa. You know, um, I can remember Dynamite Kid saying in his autobiography he had, he had trouble wrestling in Belfast, put it that way, because he was wearing Union Jack tights. You know, because it's like, well, you probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, go as the dynamite kid, don't go as the British Bulldog. Um, but 
it's uh, yeah, it, it's there's less stereotyping in in the show by this point. Um, we're about to see some plenty of stereotyping in the next particular episode, but you're right. This is kind of like playing on things that we could probably have done without playing on, to be honest with you. Um, it's and still the, done in a more pantomime than malicious way. It's just, it did elicit a groan for me because I'm like, of course the Irish wrestler called Lucky. Of course but he is. Then yeah. it, it's not like they could have, they didn't go whole hog on that either because like, when you think of Irish people, you don't think of Gordon. And just like, oh, <laughs> Gordon. Right. Gordon. Yeah. That, that's what you went with. I mean, that's probably <laughs> the best way to not piss people off. Yeah, and his probably his second name was probably Gordon, let's be honest. So, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it's not right. that much either. It's just, it's more of what we've already seen, though. So there's just not a lot to say about it. There's a lot of sort of chain wrestling... Lucky Gordon's been a bit of a lucky dickhead, and yeah. I think the thing is, by yeah. being a dick. I think the the the, the thing is, watching this is you realise how much of it. And I think it's probably the similar things when we've watched the TV tapings of the other stuff we've watched recently, like the American Territory stuff. You have to do a week to week wrestling show, and it can't possibly be that exciting because you want people to go buy tickets to see the show. So there's a level of excitement you're willing to let them get away with. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, that's a tanker in the opening montage there. No, that was Princess Paula. I saw the massive headdress. I'm just thinking, hang on a second, that's a tanker. No, that was a woman. <laughs> That was Dave Finley's first wife. Oh. There you go. Again, it went by in a blur of colours, so it's just like... Oh, we got the Riot Squad. Indeed. And that's another like a... amazing name. Let's just move forward <laughs> um, to this particular tape. And this is the last taping we're looking at, and we chose this one for the just for the star names that are in it. Um, that's you... here in my head, kicking the absolute shit out of me. <laughs> Um, and one of the nastiest looking table spots I think I've ever seen in a wrestling match. Oh, definitely. Ever. And it opens with the Riot Squad, Dave Fit Finley, Skull Murphy. Oh, these are the boys. <laughs> and they're going up Skull against... Murphy. Yeah. It, it's such a great name. It like, is. It, it makes me chuckle, but it is such a great name. Skull Murphy from Bosmouth. Skull Murphy. His dad was, um, oh, I can't remember his name now, but his dad was his dad was a serious heavyweight, like proper hardcore heavyweight back in the 1960s, and he, he picked up on that mantle. Um, Dave Fit Finley is, is Fit Finley. <laughs> Father of Dave Finley III, son of Dave Finley I. Um, legend on three continents. Uh, you know, just... Wait, if you Finley. don't know who Finley is at this point, are you really a wrestling fan? No, there you go. You know, former WWE producer, um, trainer of amateur wrestlers in Georgia. His father trained the Irish national wrestling team. I, just if the culture of professional wrestling does not exist without the Finley family in general, and Fit is its most famous um, uh, instigator. Um, Skull Murphy. The Riot Squad were a tag team for quite some time, and even though they went on to be big individual stars, they would always tag together. 
and they were the top heels in the UK. And this is really what this tournament really established them. So the fighting Watson family, fighting Wilson family. No, that's the Wilsons are in the next match. This was Steve Logan, the other Steve Logan, not the Steve Logan that was famous tag team partner of Mick McManus, the other Steve Logan, the northern Steve Logan. <laughs> and um the soon-to-be British heavy middleweight champion, uh, and also deaf Alan Kilby. Um Alan Kilby's brilliant, just absolute brilliant wrestler and Obviously, as a person with a disability, was a brilliant babyface because he played into that disability shamelessly for the good of his own career, and I'm glad he did. But he was a great technician as well, and a bit of a, a tough guy. And he was the perfect guy to have in this particular opening match. This is a tournament, by the way. We forgot to tell this. This was the top tag team tournament. Um, and Kilby can go, and Murphy can go, and Dave Finley can go. And they had a proper wrestling match. Um, unfortunately, Steve Logan's very young and was going to get his head kicked in. Because <laughs> that was the job. It doesn't go well for him. But no. It's an entertaining ride. Yeah, he got he got some he got some licks in before they shut him down. But Dave Finley and School Murphy, even at this point, were ring generals. You know, they could do everything. And they were putting in tag team moves that weren't really allowed under Mount Evans rules and Max Ward as his answer. For those of you who don't, are unaware, unaware of the tag team rules in Mount Evans rules, tag teams were not allowed to double team, strictly speaking. They got away with it, especially for the Royal Brothers. The Royal Brothers like were anarchy as a tag team. And we have to do an episode on the Royal Brothers because I've wanted to do an episode on the Royal Brothers for years. Um, and we may do that uh, sooner rather than later. Um, but Fit and, and Scott Murphy were just kind of like edging the rules as much as they possibly could. But this is kind of like tag team wrestling, not as a main event spectacular, which is what the usual kind of thing that happened with main event wrestling in world of sport, because um, it was so built around the personalities. You know, the tag team was kind of the blow off to the big match. Um, and they didn't allow tag team wrestling on television that much because the promoters wanted to use it as a drawing tool. So you were only allowed one tag team match maybe a month to um, you know to to keep the keep the fans coming to the shows to go see the big big tag team matches. So then maybe you'd have like Mick McManus wrestling um, Vic Faulkner in a singles bout to build to a tag team match on a live circuit show. But yeah, Dave Dave Finley here is just vicious. Just knocking Steve Logan's head off. It's just it's just funny to watch because it is just like everything's super smooth and measured, and you know that Logan's selling for him brilliantly. But Dave is just like absolutely crisp and perfect because that's his job, and he's so proud to do his job so well, and it just looks perfect. And School Murphy's the same. You know, he's got a school would be a heavyweight at this point. He's probably a light heavyweight. But he could go to the Yeah, he's, he was a great wrestler. He could really go when he wanted to. Um, and this this match is kind of like reflected that. Is Steve Logan's major push? That was a really cool headbutt to the stomach. I really like that. Um, yeah. That's very classic British wrestling strike is a headbutt to the stomach. Brian Danielson used to do it when he was in Noah. Uh, hasn't done it for a while. But then again, not with his neck, I suppose. You wouldn't want to, really, would you? <laughs> It's like there are so many things in this era of wrestling that you could still use to this day and it wouldn't look out of place. No. And then lifters from Skull Murphy always looked vicious because he really laid him in. Like it looked like we were going to cave somebody's chest in. 
But yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. That, that's the face of pure suffering. This <laughs> is Steve Logan selling. And he's really good at it. Um, mainly because school's eating him really hard. Um, which will help. <laughs> it's quite interesting because you're getting this level of death selling without actually having to go through said death. Whereas in like other territories, it was like, oh no, you are just having the shit beaten out of you. Yeah, that's it. You know, <laughs> they didn't they didn't do that here. You know, it's, you just, get... it's... it's a far cry from the Texas stuff we looked at. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I'm very sorry, but we're going to have to drop you on your head. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is this is you know, and there is the famous story that Sandman told about Dave Finley. Um, he was producing one night whilst wrestling as Finley. And um, Sandman was watching the monitor. And um, I can't remember it. Two wrestlers, two main event wrestlers had a match and it was dreadful. And all they did was bump. And it was like they were putting each other at risk, basically, is what the argument was. Sandman says they were just trying too hard. Anyway, they go in the back and Dave bollocked them for like, you know, putting themselves at risk he said you only need one book to make a match work and they were like you don't you can be calm you've got to make it interesting he said watch this <laughs> and then he went out and he had this absolutely brilliant match and just took one book and then walked in the back and went that's how it's done because he's dave finley <laughs> yeah. you know i mean few better than dave finley Exactly. Right, Scott, we're also kind of like a well-known faction within British wrestling that helped train up-and-comers. Marty Jones was reportedly part of that group. There was lots of people who it was kind of like one of those, um, how can I put it, a bit like the Masons, <laughs> as far as wrestling was concerned. Interestingly, best of three falls for all of these matches in this particular tournament. Um, so Steve Logan has to get back in. Um, and take his kicks and that was kind of part of the whole deal with the best of three falls in a tag match was the person that lost the fall had to stay in with the person that won the fall so if you didn't recover in the minute you were kind of stuck but that was a nice escape from the headlock of um, going for a knee breaker but it's mm -hmm. nice psychology on Finley's part trying to keep the ring cut off as much as he possibly can but it's just yeah just really well done tag team wrestling shall we move on to the next I match tag rope oh I <laughs> Well, you want to get some interference little, in, you need some it's room. It's a little shoeless like you get these days. You could bloody walk half the apron with that thing. Was it 18, 18 inches is the NWA rules? Was it 18 inches on a tag rope? No, that, that was proper tag rope you could strangle somebody with. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. we are. Indeed, we are. This is um, the Fabulous Wilson Brothers. Uh, well, they weren't that fabulous. Pete Wilson and Tarzan Johnny Wilson going up against... Akira Maeda, known in the UK as Quick Kick Lee, the brother of Sammy Lee. <laughs> Very creative. God. Um, so yeah, someone else who was named after a Japanese, uh, sorry, Chinese uh, film star when I was actually being Japanese. They don't even look alike. <laughs> you wouldn't mind so much about like any facial resemblance whatsoever. No. Anywho, um, and he's tagging with Iron Fist Clive Myers. Um, Clive Myers is just insanely good. Just other level good. And a serious bump taker, as we find out in this particular match. Um, Pete Wilson was kind of the technician of his team, and Johnny Wilson was kind of the muscle of his team. Though Johnny Wilson was actually quite a good wrestler as well. 
But this is this was kind of like your classic 80s tag team of your muscle guy and your technician. They were even even the Wilson brothers were kind of like that as well. They had a brilliant match against the fabulous Royal brothers, which was insanely good, especially given the fact that the Wilsons were both heavyweights and the, and the um, Royal brothers were both middleweights. And they got around that by just having this incredible wrestling match. <laughs> they were giving away like 40 pounds each, but it just didn't matter because they were just four great wrestlers who could really go. Um, but this is a this is a snappy little tag team match between two babyface teams to get things kicked off, isn't it? Yeah, it is a very entertaining contest. And as you said, there's just four great wrestlers in the ring doing what they do best. And yeah, it ends in the most terrifying fashion imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, essentially, Pete Wilson just whips Clive James. That's like Clive James. That's an entirely different human being from the 1980s. Whips Clive, whips Clive Myers um, over the top rope. Um, and, well, to be fair, he whips him into the ropes. And then Clive just hurtles himself over the top rope, straight over Kent Walton, and lands in a heap on the floor. And, and the ring bell and the ring table on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> and then Akira Maeda and the Wilson brothers go and make sure he's all right. <laughs> and he isn't, and he doesn't make the count. And it's a nice little way of, you know, because um, Clive pretty much bosses this match for against Pete and, and, and Johnny. Um, neither of them really get anything offensively moving without Clive because he gets an awful lot of offences in. And there's like a nice bit of no selling here with Clive uh, throwing kicks at Johnny and Johnny just like standing there because he's a big muscle guy and he should just not sell them, not sell them. That was really cool. And then Maeda gets in and he has to sell them because they're just too stiff. <laughs> it's like there are no way I'm not selling kicks by Akita or Maeda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's got to have to come something a bit more uh, special than that. Though the drop kick's nice. Clive Maeda's drop kick from the floor to the face on a guy who's six foot three. That's insane. He makes it look so effortless as well. Like, yeah. You're out. <laughs> yeah. And I just love the fact that like, Maeda comes in and follows up with the kicks, lands a drop kick of his own, and then puts on a wristlock. I know, so yeah, it's a, a head, uh, neck crank. So, it yeah. It's this fun mix of the styles, though, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, he's called Quick Kick. Oh, I guess I'll have to throw some kicks in, but I can also work the British style like no one else. Yeah, let's 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 put it in a sided chantry and let's let's see where we can go from here with this sided chantry. Also interesting, they're not worrying about hard cams at all. Though I suppose the big bump in the match was to the hard cam, but generally speaking, they're not bothered about hard cams at all. They're just wrestling they're the rest just of the match. They're yeah. just trying to make it look as natural as possible. It's like if you're gonna struggle, you're not gonna struggle at the hard cam. <laughs> you can be looking around for ways to break stuff, not oh, there's the hard cam. Hell. Yes. <laughs> Um, There's a bunch of people at the TV, you know, you can totally reach through and break this whole thing. No, you're going to be looking around for options. Exactly. Well, there's lots of stuff in this that's pure wrestling. Um, Maeda and Johnny Wilson going through a pure wrestling phase in this particular match as we're watching it now. And it's like, you don't really associate Maeda with this level of wrestling. You associate associating with shoot style wrestling, but he could go as a pro. He really could. You know, it's this is like even you think a couple of years down the line, he's in kick pads and he's leaned out and you know he's wrestling a different style. But you know, you can see where all the bits are there for him to develop that style. 
I missed? What's that? I know that wasn't what they've just done, but I missed the torture rack. I like, I sometimes yeah. see Alexander Hammerstone do it in MLW and everywhere else he wrestles. It's just like, God, the torture rack was just such a cool move. You know what? I think the burning hammer killed the torture rack. Because obviously a bird. Uh, uh, everyone yeah. going for the torture the torture rack and was just like oh it's a burden hammer yeah like, eh. i mean yeah. if you properly crank back on a torture rack and your opponent is willing to sell it like that like let you bend him into a borderline c ship then it would be a very convincing finish still you've got to be of a certain size though as well i mean like hammerstone's built like a brick outhouse and therefore he can get away with it plus he's not also not massively tall there's a lot of balance point in that because you've got to get the person up on their show on your shoulders and be able to realistically pull them in too. The reason why Luger did it was because he had that body to do it with and he was the right height to do it with. And, you know, there's all the things that he, it was perfect for him. Whereas with other people, it's like, you know, if you're like, I don't know, uh, Josh Alexander, it just doesn't look natural because he's too tall. And, you know, this it, is a completely random question, but mm. was Sid ever on World of Sport, or was he a bit too late for the sort of cross-promotional World of Sport TV stuff? Sid, as in... Psycho Sid. Psycho Sid, no, he wasn't. Um, he did wrestle in the UK, but it was um, on. It was after TV had finished. Like, the the, the majority of the North Americans who wrestled on... Like, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> One of the most uncomfortable things I imagine to ever take. <laughs> if you can't do the splits. There was a brilliant singles match with Maeda wrestled Skull Murphy. And Murphy does the leg stretch to Maeda. Maeda just sits there. And then Murphy's putting the pressure on and going further and further and further. Maeda just no-sells it. And then the bell goes to the round. And Maeda just stretches his legs out further. <laughs> the Murphy's feet are <laughs> and then does the splits in all three directions stands up and goes to his corner <laughs> which is just brilliant awesome. that's awesome but yeah like the majority of the North Americans who wrestled in the UK John Quinn was probably the biggest name he had a big feud with Big Daddy over the WWA World Heavyweight Championship in 1981 which ended up with Wayne Bridges he had a feud with him as well um but the majority of them were Canadians. Um, Brett Hart, um, Keith Hart, Owen Hart, they all came. The first time I saw Owen Hart was in 1984 when he was 18 years old and he was tagging with um, uh, one of the Hart brothers that wasn't Bruce Keith or Brett, the other one. <laughs> um, he was tagging with him against um, Dave Finley and another Northern Irish guy whose names escapes me. And that was the first time I saw a German suplex because he busted out a German suplex and it was like the world had come unglued. Like, how, what? how did he do that? <laughs> and of course he got a pinfall with it. It's like, what? oh yeah, um, breaking around. That was it. Um, but yeah, it was just like, how did you do, what? How, what happened there? And it was just like a German suplex. Um, it was like, I oh, I had just knocked his chest in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was unlikely you were going to get too many big American stars involved in this match in in the UK circuit just because it was a different style of wrestling for the same reason why British wrestlers didn't really get over in the States. American wrestlers didn't really get over here. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. I used to love I used to love Sid. So it was kind of I wonder if he was ever on this. He wasn't on this, no. The yeah, I can't think of any Americans that really made it onto the British TV screens other than maybe a couple who were some of them billed as Americans, but weren't actually Americans. <laughs> but mostly Canadians, like I said. Brett, the first time I saw Brett was in was on British TV in 1984, and he came on his coach, and he was, he was not very good either back then because he hadn't really grown as a wrestler, and he was wrestling as a heel, which was it just wasn't working for him. <laughs> but he, he got oh, better as he went on. I said to suppress a groan because, of course, my Ada's team is called the Martial Arts Fighters. Of course they are, but you notice how like Maeda got a cross arm lock on then, and then moved to yeah. an arm stretch. And it's like because he knows the audience don't get what a cross arm lock is, so he's moving to what they expect a lot more of. This is this isn't yeah, really you know, like the pure level of a, like creativity and adaption going on even on the fly with yeah. like, all these excursion stars because it's like, oh yeah, I've got to work this style at the moment. Oh well, no problem. Yeah. Which is what they do, and you know, you can you can see a lot of like the development of what, of what happens uh, with these stars. And obviously, like Maeda would make his name in a style that was completely alien to this, but had very much had its roots in this. You know, the people he respected, the people who trained him, who came up that were the UWF. The UWF dojo was called the Snake Pit, but after Carl Gotch and Ernie Baldwin, and you know. Um, Billy Riley and Ernie Riley and all those people that went before him because they showed so much respect to what they'd done for the wrestling industry and how wrestling, what they thought rest, how wrestling should be represented. But this is an, this is an intriguing match, and it is like you know, it's a pure wrestling match. Um, notice referee Peter Zakash. He was in a very famous film. Do you know what film he was in? I'm looking at it and I'm trying to think, but you're probably just going to have to tell me because I suck at this. <laughs> I forgot the name of the film now. Um, oh, ah, what came after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? It was... Um, Snatch. Snatch, yeah, it was in Snatch. Oh. Do, you, do you know what he, what he played in Snatch? He didn't take over from Lenny Bruce, did he? No. Um, you know um, when Turkish and Tommy are walking through their yard going to their caravan and someone's... Oh, yeah. Someone's cooking a barbecue and the sausages will be ready in three minutes, Turkish. That's Peter Zakash. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What a, what a roll. Yeah, that was it. Two minutes, Turkish. It was two minutes, five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. I do like snacks. What about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. Sorry? I love both of those films. Lock, Stock and Snatch. You just both were it. It is really Guy Ritchie's one and only move, isn't it? <laughs> I think he's wrote a few more, but those are the ones that people know the most. Because didn't he do the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock films? Weren't those Guy Ritchie? Yeah, yeah, they were, weren't they? I forgot about that. And he did the bootlegging one that had Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. I can't remember. He's, he's done another... He's done, there was another one he did um, recently, The King. I can't remember what it was, but it was about, like drug dealing in North London, which is kind of like his thing. So yeah, that was fun to watch too. But essentially it was. Uh, speaking of kings. Indeed. Let's just move on to the final match on this particular episode, which just brings us back. As Ken Walton did say, the rest of this tournament will be shown later on television, which brings us to Lucky Gordon versus King Ben. 
in the final match that we're going to watch today. Um, this was this was fun. It was all right. And it kind of like showcased that Gordon's a dick and that King Ben is a noble baby face. And that's your lot, really. And this was a lot more kind of heated baby face heel stuff than um, any of the matches we've actually seen on this particular show, I think, really. On these, we, yeah, we pretty King, much... ben didn't, King Ben didn't want an offer on a car insurance. <laughs> <laughs> but even like the Riot Squad versus um, Steve Logan and Al Kilby was a wrestling match first with a bit of bad temperedness in it, whereas this is just this is a heel versus babyface wrestling match, you know. And King Ben was, was it's the big deal, the grand finale. It has to have the sort of full-on pantomime action to it. Cause it's like, oh, is is Lucky gonna win? Because his feet are on the ropes. You know that the ref hasn't somehow managed to see the first five times. <laughs> Oh, who's the referee in this? I had something to say about the referee in this as well. Oh, it was Mark Rowan. Mark, that was just this match. This match stuck with me purely because Ken Orton opens with, um, and uh, this this match, this referee, this match will be refereed by fully qualified dentist Mark Rowan from Bradford. What? <laughs> he was liking it. He wasn't making enough money as a dentist, so he became a wrestling referee as well. You gotta love the multivocational skills of all of these wrestlers. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, a lot of them had multiple jobs because they weren't being paid very much. Oh, God, that wrist lock. Have you seen that wrist lock? He's bending it the wrong way. <laughs> For those of you who don't, you're not watching what we're watching, but like a wrist lock's supposed to go in a way where your wrist has got room to move. And I did not. That just went the wrong way. It looked like he was trying to break his arm off, which is he really might good. might have done at this point. Like, I know <laughs> who you are, Lucky. I know what you're going to try and do. I'm going to break your wrist so you can't. But how yeah. will that file the tax work for my client? <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, I bought the, the, the fans. Are, well, the fans are leading. But um, <laughs> a lot of the oh, fans were into this. Yeah, there was a bunch of fans just left and they were like, this isn't going well, but it worked. This was, uh, well, it was the end of the round. That's probably the reason why they were leaving to go to the league. But yeah, this, this was fun for, for a, a fun wrestling match between. Um, a, a really good heel and a really good babyface in that sense, and that's where King Ben really excelled. He wasn't necessarily a great technical wrestler, but he had loads of charisma, and you know that's that's what made him like a star, really. Yeah, it, it kind of just lends itself to this dynamic nicely because you've got this high stakes tournament final where he's he's beaten one pseudo villain on points now he's got to try and seal the deal by beating the other villain definitively but we're gonna to have to keep screaming he's behind you to the ref as lucky gordon puts another foot on the ropes <laughs> and this of course was to write the right to wrestle his son in the tournament final like why did you both enter this tournament if you're okay <laughs> you know what? I'd I'd have preferred the reboot of World of Sport if it had entirely just been more wrestling pantomime. I think that's the thing. And you look back at the reboot of World of Sport, and like obviously there were some problematic people who we can't talk about anymore, shouldn't talk about who were on that show. Um, and I think that was part. I mean, part of the issue is the. It couldn't, it, it kind of fell between 17 different stools because it wasn't hardcore wrestling enough to be like 
um, to suit hardcore fans in the UK. There were a lot of them went to the tapings. Um, and then it was very much like American wrestling, which you're never going to kind of like have the same effect because they can do it much cheaper and with a much bigger roster, you know, and essentially AEW took over that time slot because it was like, that's essentially what AEW did. They were even using the same wrestling accounts and stuff like for the, for the social media. And I think it was really well done and it kind of shifted WWE into doing something in the UK. It did change the industry, but I think it's, I think, I don't know. It was kind of like, it was so, we both know it was NGW on steroids when there's nothing wrong with that because NGW is a really good promotion who really knew what they were doing and how to produce a television show and they've been at it a long while. But it was kind of like, World of Sport Wrestling as as a thing became a bit of a problem because it's World of Sport Wrestling. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't... Yeah. The closest they ever got to this kind of thing was probably with how they presented Rampage Brown. Yeah. Because they took what is essentially a monster heel and made him a bit more cartoony and pantomime Yeah, that's it. And... Uh... It was still vicious as hell, but it was done in a, a much more light-hearted take. And you obviously had Davy Boyce, Smith Jr. being like the big baby face. It's like, oh, I'm the son of someone who was like part of this or family with this. And it's like, you've got all these nice moments, but I don't know, just as a show, it was always missing something. I could never get into it. I think that's the thing is like, you know, and especially look at around at the time at what Progress were doing and what Refro were doing and what ICW were doing. They were the cutting edge wrestling companies. And NGW was in in that level. They were a cutting edge wrestling company as well. You know, they 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 flourished without TV. And then suddenly you give them this opportunity for that booking crew and that roster. And you are kind of like it's difficult to say where it went wrong. In one sense, I mean, they got a whole season. They didn't get cancelled. They got a whole season out of it, and they got a tour out of it. Um, and then, when as soon as everybody's contracts were up, they all ended up in WWE. <laughs> and but look at the ones they they picked the right people. I mean, like Piper Niven, and um, you know, people like that have done really well. And a lot of it came down to their exposure through ITV wrestling. You know. I'm glad it happened. It was just never for me. I don't think. I think that's the thing. It was a wrestling show that wasn't made for wrestling fans in the UK. And that's fine. That's what it needed to be. But I'm not sure it was a wrestling show made for non-wrestling fans. If that makes sense. It's difficult to... It's one of those things. We used to talk about this with Ring of Honor an awful lot as well. Um, Oh, by the way, that move there from Lucky Gordon. Oof. Yeah, that, that looks even nastier in slow motion. So what he did there was a running backbreaker, dumped him on the top rope, and then slingshotted him back into the ring, which is just brilliant. And it's probably it never been done since. Yeah, it's probably never been done since because it's ridiculously dangerous. But anywho, um, <laughs> I I think more the sport of the reboot. Yeah, <laughs> but the one way I think the, the thing is with the world of sport reboot is it, it was it was of its time and I think it was well done for what it was but I don't think it was like it was the wrong format because you know a wrestling show what we expect from a wrestling show these days is 
and either the New Japan model of televised big events or pay-per-view big events with smaller events streamed constantly, or the North American model of a weekly episodic format that you're going to see every week. You can't just do 13 episodes. It's got to be on forever. And it was too expensive to produce to do that. And it's not the way ITV works because they want seasons of stuff. Does that make sense? It just didn't fit like a, a British television model. No, which is, you know, and a lot of WrestleTalk people were involved in it and a lot of things were going on in that show at the time which were really positive and some things that were less than positive as we've noticed since. <laughs> but um, let's just move on from that. But what's your overall thoughts on having watched some world sport and given a representative of the 1970s and 1960s and 1970s, 1980s, and what was going on? What did you think? I said, I went into this with some minor apprehensions purely because, again, World of Sport has been one of these products that's been romanticized to death by like all the sort of classical guys who are like, oh, wrestling sucks now. It's just this, it's just this. That's what you sound like. And um, whilst I do understand it to a degree, this is a very different product. It's got its own style. It's got its own characters. There is still a lot of the foundation that is used in modern day wrestling. Is it more bump heavy now? Of course it is. But that's just because that's how the business went. More modern day wrestlers are more interested in showing off athleticism and things like that. But you've still got throwbacks to this. Like hell, loads of people still do Johnny Saint throwbacks. And it's perfect. Like, these shows are enjoyable for what they are. But some of the, like, as you sort of get into less of the showcase ones, you realise that, like, they had one style and that was mostly all they ever did. You had guys that were, like, moulding the style to how they wanted to be sure, but a lot of the matches you will see on a week, would, would see on a weekly basis seem to just be chain wrestling contests. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. I imagine once a week seeing seeing a bunch of chain wrestling. That's fine, but you've got to remember it's a product of its time, and its time isn't necessarily quite so golden now. No, I think you know. I enjoyed it. I just (laughs) that's John being positive. (laughs) But I think that's the thing. I think you're right. Is like you couldn't get away with these kind of finishes. This match finishes when Lucky Gordon is drop kicked out of the ring and takes a bump on the floor. And he's counted out. And it's like, well, that wouldn't wash in this day and age. You know, people take bumps out of the ring all the time and just pop back straight into the ring again. Um, and that's just the way it is. But essentially, this wrestling is 40 years old and it's, people have just moved on. So it's 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 a different style for sure. And are you right, John? It is of its time. But there's a lot of entertainment. And you can see, especially watching the excursion guys coming over and seeing how they developed and learned their style. Even in, in the shoot, few short matches we saw of Sammy Lee, or sorry, Satoru Soyama, you could see he was adapting what he could do to make things better for himself and learning from the people around him. And certainly with Akira Maeda, he was learning from what he, the skills he had developed in the wrestling ring from watching other yeah, people in British he, wrestling. It seemed like the perfect place to learn in that day and age because you're learning a like a very fundamental style. You're learning a very low risk style and you can sort of blend it in with whatever you're good at. It's like that was the best thing with Sayama was he was still bringing in his kicks. He was still bringing in his speed. He was still bringing all this, but he had the British technical fundamentals down. So he still got over with the crowd. 
it's it's how you should like how I imagine a lot of talent want to act when they're on excursion because you're there to learn and you're there to adapt so why not show your adaption on television oh yeah and also I mean you, when you look at you look at watching Maeda when he's on the tag rope he's looking absorbing and watching everything that's going on in the ring which is the way you're supposed oh, to do it yeah it's it's what you want to see it's what you hope to see it's like you're learning you can't you're recording everything you see through well technically recording things it's going into your brain i'm not saying you've got cameras for eyes that would be weird <laughs> well that brings the end us to the end of our 300 of this 300th episode of the troopany show first of all let me thank my guest today mr john dinsdale um, thank you very much for um, uh, coming on the show. As always, we appreciate your contributions. So thank you. I appreciate it greatly. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Thank you for having me. You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that will lead you to writings, ramblings, opinions, cool screenshots from Lego death matches. You can find me at John underscore Deathman on Instagram, which is kind of more of the same. It's a backup archive with a lot more imagery. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can find me on Patreon at Deathmatch Digest. If you like hearing me talk about weird deathmatch moments, you can also read about weird deathmatch moments twice a week. This weird deathmatch romance? Yeah. I mean, there are some deathmatch love stories, but... Yeah, branching yeah, out. Um, Sorry, Carol. Hey, one of the best two wrestlers in Deathmatch are a married couple. Oh, there you go. So, there is Deathmatch romance. And they do often kill each other. Yeah. But yeah, this week I I did Canada Week. So I did ISW and IWS, because that's not confusing in the slightest. <laughs> well, there you go. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can also find me at Sheriff Lone Star TX on Instagram. You can find the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Troopany Show and on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. We thank everyone who contributed to The Troopany Show on Patreon over the full 300 episodes and all of the other podcasts which are on The Troopany Show Network. There is... Um, Telling stories, of course. There is, of course, the Today App series of whatever I'm watching at that particular time. I might have to do a Today App, the New Beginnings tour to catch up this week. Um, there is, of course, the Rewind with Dara and Martin and uh, Dave. So we thank them for their contributions to the Trooping Show as well. You can find Dara at Dara WV on Twitter. You can find Dave Stevens on the Dave Stevens at Twitter. Martin is no longer on Twitter. I don't know why he's no longer on Twitter. I'll have to ask him. But out of his email, so I don't know. It's it's a loss. We need him back on Twitter. Um, I would like to thank all the contributors to the Troopney Show, and I'll see as, as many as I can remember. <laughs> um, of course, Tink Holloway, Ben himself, he's on Twitter, Tink Holloway, the host of the Wrestling Rewind. He um, said to me, like in 2014, hey, I want you to present a podcast, and we're going to call it the Troopney Show, and we'll just talk about wrestling. And we've been doing it ever since, every Monday. And um, I want to thank Ben for giving me the opportunity to do it and the inclination to do it and the support when I got started doing it. Uh, my next regular co-host was Marcus Green um, of uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, as we so often say, and he's still doing the podcast with me. 
our Gleet correspondent, he's covered all of Ring of Honor shows with me, Impact when we can really be bothered. <laughs> um, so thank you to Marcus. Next to come along was Alex Watt. Um, Alex uh, was writing for the Daily Mirror at the time um, and uh, and then writing for the BBC when he was contributing to us. Um, still contributes occasionally when he gets a chance, doesn't have time all the time because work gets in the way because they, they do. Um, after Alex Edwards, we... Um, of course, picked up uh, Chelsea Spollen, who I got through another friend in another computer, Alex, the contributor, Alex Hernandez. Alex and me started talking together because we both like the Ataris. Then we discovered we both like wrestling. And she had the podcast. Uh, she had a podcast as well. And we had a podcast. So Chelsea and Alex started contributing to us. And then Chelsea started doing uh, lots more stuff with us. And she's been on a lot of the uh, Beginner's Guide to Japan stuff. So if you want to go back and listen to her stuff, Chelsea was awesome and did an amazing thing with us. With us. Then we got Alex Edwards, um, who was the cameraman for WrestleTalk at the time, and for NGW, was one of the most in-demand cameramen in British wrestling, did all of the camera work for Rev Pro and Pro Wrestling Eve as well. And did, Alex isn't on the show these days because he lives in Japan now. <laughs> and has promised to do another spot shot show at some point but yeah he lives in japan so he's not so much on the show anymore hasn't been for a while um then out of all the other regular contributors uh, mike freeland who's the person i decided to, when we left the wrestle tour network we needed a, a show to do that was more mainstream wrestling because we can't keep talking about obscure wrestling forever and everyone will go away so we got mike freeland to come and take over do a show that was similar to the total wrestling podcast that we did for total wrestling and mike was up for doing that which led to him um founding the front row material podcast with um um oh the ucw podcast with um oh him <laughs> <laughs> oh god wrestle down storm in ecw and i can't remember his name and jerry lynn there you go that's father jerry lynn and mikey whitbrook they, they founded that podcast and he's been working for um MLW Network ever since, um, still has the Front Row Material podcast and his own regular podcast and a very big um, supporter of our podcast still and a rewind. Um, and then, of course, we got my mate Cy um, um, at Butlins Club um, to come and do some shows. And we did a lot of the New Beginnings shows. I spoke with Cy today. Again, he kind of got life got in the way. He doesn't do as many shows as he'd like to do. He would like to do, and he's still one of the funniest people I know. Um, so we had a blast talking today. Uh, caught up with some old friends as well. So that was nice. Um, and uh, we have other regular computers, contributors, of course, Brett um, from FMW, USW, US Wrestling FMW, um, who's an absolute joy to speak to when we come and do anything Onita-related and loves talking about wrestling and We're very grateful when he comes on the show because he gives us his time. He's awesome. Um, Just all of those people that have made the Troopany show special, our special guests that we've had every now and then as well, especially uh, Jazzy Gabbard, Alpha Female, who was one of my first big guests, Jeff Jarrett, who was my first big interview on the podcast. That was awesome. Um, He he was a complete gentleman to do a podcast with as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been a blast doing 300 episodes of the Troopany show and I'm not going to stop anytime soon because I like talking to my mates about wrestling as we all should. So take care, have a great week and we'll keep trying to make as many podcasts as we can about as many diverse wrestling subjects as we can. And we hope you enjoy all of them. Take care. Uh, oh, 
I need to have this bit in afterwards. So I'm going to put a gap in here because uh, we forgot her. <laughs> Christy as well um, from Wrestling Sexism was another person who came on because she was a big New Japan pro wrestling fan and she wanted to do shows. Uh, I, well, I asked her and she said yes. And she's also done other in the beginning shows with me as well. She was a, a blast to work with and we'd like to do more shows when she gets the opportunity to. Um, so, yeah. But that's it, really. That's the 300th show. And we thoroughly enjoyed the three doing the 300 shows with with all of you, uh, all of our guests who've contributed down the years. And thank you for listening to us. I can't believe it's 300 shows in one sense. Um, and it's, there's way more shows than that on the podcast network because there's something in the region of around about 500 shows to listen to. There is hours and hours of stuff. And we will keep producing it because we will keep talking to our mates about wrestling every Monday because that's what we do. Thank you very much for listening to us. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.